Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series entitled Proof Mark. In this message, we examine the bloodline that leads all the way up to the cross, beginning with Genesis chapter 3. Brandon points out that the only way anyone has ever been right in the sight of God is by the shedding of blood, made complete in Christ Jesus. Good morning. Everybody good? Glad to see you, glad to see you. I was telling our uh, connectors this morning, those people who are helping serve, I realized two things today that we all have in common. One is that we need the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus, right? We all, we all need that. We all need forgiveness in our life. The other thing is that if you're here today on Memorial Day weekend, you're as broke as I am and you couldn't afford to go anywhere, right? So, uh, so we're all in the same boat, but glad you're here. We're going to have an awesome time today. Excited about continuing this, this series, but being it is Memorial Day, I just want to just real quick say how thankful I am for the men and women who have served our country, those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, as well as those who are serving now. Thank you so much. If you're here today, you know, we come in here today and we celebrate one who gave his life so that we could be set free, but we're also surrounded by men and women who have risked their lives and, and some we know, we all know, who've given their lives so that we could come in and do what we do here in freedom and uh, just very thankful for that. So. Before we went any further, I just wanted to mention that to you. Um, we are actually going to continue our Proof Mark series today. Um, if you're here last week, we looked at prophecy. Uh, the way we came about this is my love for uh, the, the History Channel show, Pawn Stars, P-A-W-N. Um, and uh, that, that, that history stuff, I love history. And in this, this uh, show, they always bring in these old guns. And one of the things they do with these guns is they look at the proof mark. It's actually a stamp on the barrel. It tells them a few things about the gun. It tells them where it's from, when it was made, who made it, all of these things. Basically, if somebody brings in a gun and it was made in 1950, but it was, it was, they say it was made in like, you know, 1700s, they can look at the proof mark and it authenticates the gun. It tells them when it was made, who made it, where it was made, all of these things. And they can say, yeah, that's a, actually an old gun. It's very valuable. Or they can go, you know, that thing was like made in China in 1975. You know, it was not worth anything. And so, anyway, that's where this whole thought came from is I believe there are things in Scripture that God has given us that authenticate our faith, that actually intellectually show us that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, a disclaimer on that is this. I believe that we all come to faith in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that that God reveals to us that Jesus is who he says he is. But today we're going to be going through the word again and looking at another proof mark. And my prayer has been this week and, and is for you guys every week that our eyes would be opened to see more clearly who Jesus Christ is. And as we read his word today, we're going to read a lot of scripture. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. My prayer is that maybe for some of you, for the first time, your eyes would be open to the reality of Jesus Christ and the blood he shed for you. Today we're going to be looking at that very fact that, that since Genesis chapter 3, as we're going to see, there is a bloodline that we can follow that leads straight to the cross. I don't mean a bloodline as in genealogy. I mean a bloodline as in shed blood that... For forgiveness of sins, something always had to die, right? Something always had to die. And I don't know about you, but I got in a place with my faith where I knew in my heart that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe he died on the cross for me. But have you ever just kind of wondered, like, why? Like, people will just say, well, Jesus died for you. He loves you. You know, like, knock on your door. Do you know that you know that you know that you know? Have you ever anybody say that? Like, how do you know that you know that you 
if you know, isn't that enough? I mean, and they're like, do you know that 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 you know that, that Jesus is who he says he is? He died on the cross for you? And you're like, yeah, I know. And, but, but then there's still the question of why did he have to die? Why did he have to shed his blood? People walk into the church on Sunday morning and we're singing songs about blood. If you've never been in church before, wouldn't that seem a little odd to you? That we're singing about blood and thankful that the blood has washed us? Nobody wants to jump in a tub of blood, right? It's just, it's, it's strange if you don't understand it. So today we're going to be looking at why did Jesus shed his blood? How does that blood atone for our sin? And, and we're going to be looking at those things. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're actually going to read Genesis 3, 1 through 12. Some of these verses we read last week, we're going to look at them with a little bit, from a little bit different view this week. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman, how about that? The woman gave him, you gave me. He's blaming it on God and the woman. He's like, You gave me the woman. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Let's pray. God, uh, in the next few minutes, Father, I just pray that you would open our eyes to your incredible plan of salvation, your incredible plan of forgiveness for sins that comes only through the shed blood of Jesus. God, just move by the power of your Holy Spirit today that we could experience you and have our eyes opened, God, to, to who you are. Holy Spirit, have your way here. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let me ask you a quick question as we get going here. How many of you have recurring dreams? Anybody have recurring dreams, like a dream that you just have over and over again? All right, all right, all right. Some people, some people are like, I'm just so tired when I get to bed, I don't even dream, you know, I don't even remember. But, but how about this? How many of you have ever dreamed or dreamed maybe more than once that you went to work or school or like Walmart, but you didn't put all your clothes on, you went in your underwear? Anybody ever dreamed that? I'm, gl I'm glad to see some other hands up because I thought I was weird. I asked Susan that question. She was like, I ain't never dreamed that. I was like, w w w I didn't know what that said about me, right? And, and, and I don't need anybody to come up and interpret that for me. Like, you know, you have something in your past that has caused you. you know, it's just a dream about underwear. I don't know. And some of y'all like dream about that and you're like, woohoo, it's like a party. You're like, I don't even care. I, but for me, I always spend the entire dream doing what, trying to get some clothes on, Right? I'm like, in my dream, I'm like, I don't have all these clothes. And it's, and it's like, sometimes I'll even be at the gym and I'll change clothes and I'll walk out and like, the, I'll feel a draft and I'm like, oh God, I did put my shorts on. You know, and look down to make sure. 
But, but, but the whole thing is the, the dream, man. You're spending all that time, and you're going and, and trying to clothe yourself, trying to put clothes on. And I look at Adam and Eve, and I see that they were like the same way. They were like, man, I really realized they were naked. They're, they're going to try to get these clothes on, trying to dress themselves, trying to clothe themselves. And I wonder where that came from. What, what in us it makes that dream about going to school or going to work or going to Walmart in our underwear so bad, right? Why is it so bad? Why, why don't we get up in the morning, get out of bed, and just go like in our pajamas? Well, I mean, some people do go to Walmart in their pajamas, but like just go in our underwear. Because it's not right. You, you just don't do that. But how do we know it's not right? Culture has taught us it's not right, hasn't it? I mean, if culture never said you got to put on clothes, the world never said you got to put on clothes, we wouldn't know. Because I can tell you this, you are not born with that instinct. My kids, especially Dake now, he's, he's to the age, you know, he's kind of realizing clothes are not optional. But my other two, my, my, my six-month-old and, and my four, almost five-year-old, they go naked everywhere if you love them. They hate clothes. Not just like trying to keep shoes on their feet, but we come home and clothes are flying off. I mean, they're going everywhere. And so the thing I realize is that that's not something that we were just born with. Culture has taught us that we need to clothe ourselves. But here's the problem with that. We've taken that same concept and we've applied it to every area of our lives. Have we not? Think about it. What does the world tell us? What does culture? Don't let anybody see the most intimate part of who you are. And so we spend our entire life trying to cover up who we really are. Same thing with Adam and Eve. They spent their life, they were trying to cover themselves. We do the same thing. And the problem, the big issue with this is we've adopted the same philosophy into the church. Haven't we? Nobody's messed up in the church. It's the biggest lie that we've bought into. And the problem with it is everybody's messed up. But we come and we act like we're not and we we try to put on this facade. And the reality of it is as soon as Adam and Eve ate that apple, every human being since then was born with a sin nature that caused them to be sinful. That caused them to be separated from God. You and I are no different. We're all in here and most of us have spent our entire lives trying to cover ourselves in a way that is ineffective. Ineffective. We're going to see this in just a second. I want to read to you a couple of things because I believe there's a process that we go through. There's actually, human nature is to suppress those things that we don't want people to see. So I want to read some scriptures and kind of tell you what I believe are the steps or the process to how we suppress things and we never get beyond things. Listen to this in verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. Step number one, we suppress our guilt and shame under a superficial covering that's inadequate. You ever notice that, how we just try to play it off? I mean, we even coined the term play it off because when something bad happened, we try to just play it off. We did something stupid, tried to play it off. How many of you have ever done something that's re- just like really, really embarrassing? Like you're like, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing. So embarrassing. Like I remember, I don't actually remember this. I remember the story my mother tells about this. When I was about four years old, my mother was going to Weight Watchers meetings. And during one of the Weight Watchers meetings, I decided I would just get up and do whatever I wanted to. 
And so I jumped up in the middle of the Weight Watchers meeting and I started running up and down the aisles. I was like, woohoo! I was having a good time. I was like, you know, just, I was exercising. I was like, hey man, we're trying to lose weight. Let's run a little bit. I'm running up and down the aisles. Mom's freaking out. She's trying to grab me, stop me, all this stuff. And, and, and I wouldn't stop. And so then she gets up to come and get me. Well, I went up to the front and I started running around the lady who was up there speaking. And so now I've got all these people chasing me around the room and I'm just having a ball. I'm like, woohoo! I'm running everywhere, just having a good old time. Everybody's trying to catch me. Mom is so embarrassed, she never went back. And in those moments like that, when you get so embarrassed, what's the thing you just want to do? You just want to go. You just want to hide. You want to get away. You, want to, you just want to escape, don't you? We just want to try to get away. And the first thing that we do is we try to cover ourselves. We try to hide ourselves in some way that is superficial and does not last. Because if you remember this, the problem is we try to escape reality, but the problem is reality never goes away and it never changes, does it? It's always there. And so we need to realize that we can't cover it with some superficial, superficial attempt to cover something with exterior and exterior covering. Listen to step number two, verse nine. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Second thing is we go and we hide from the issue rather than face it. You ever notice like when a dog's chasing the car? You ever done this like because you're afraid you're going to run over it or something? Like the dog's chasing, he's like, you know, he's just, just crazy coming after the car. Have you ever just stopped? And then the dog's like, they don't know what to do, do they? They're like, they're running, they're like, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. And then you just stop and they're like, I, what are that? I mean, it's not like they're going to tear the tires off, right? They just kind of turn around and go away. You know, it's funny, I see so many Christians, I see so many people who have been bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. They just keep running. But the Bible says that if we'll stop running and face the issues, if we'll face them, we'll turn and quit running. If we'll resist the devil, then he's got to do what? He's got to flee. The problem is we're the ones who have the power and the authority to overcome. The problem is we keep running from him instead of turning around and facing him. Instead of turning around and facing him. Listen to verse 12, number three. Verse 12 says this, And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Step number three is we begin to blame others for our issues. Anybody ever done that? Always. Always blame other people for our issues. I mean, our, our like great, 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 like way back grandparents mastered that. Adam and Eve, they mastered it. Let's blame other people instead of owning up to our part of the responsibility and, 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 and trusting that God is big enough to take care of our issues. So here's the thing. If we'll quit running, if we'll quit trying to hide it, if we'll quit trying to cover it with something that can't cover it, and we'll turn around and face it and believe that our God is big enough that our God died for us, that our God is strong enough to overcome anything, then you and I can turn and face the issue and we can begin to trust that God can and will do what he says he'll do. But we've got to quit making excuses. And we've got to turn around and we've got to grab the thing and we've got to bring it into the light. We've got to bring it into the light. We bring it into, I don't know what that was, but we've got to bring it into the light and we've got to share it with God. We've got to confess it to God and we've got to confess it to somebody else. 
And every time it tries to come back, we confess it again. And we continually bring it into the light. Instead of running from it. Adam and Eve ran. They tried to cover themselves with something that can never suffice. Jump over to verse 21. Adam and Eve's trying to cover themselves. They tried to hide. They tried to blame other people. And God just finally goes, shut up! And in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God's finally like, guys, listen. You're not going to be able to do this on your own. And there's some little lamb or some little animal that's over there eating on some leaves. Just munching away. And God goes, killed the animal and made garments that were suitable for Adam and Eve. So what had to happen in order for their guilt and their shame to be covered? See, we look at naked people and that's somehow erotic to us. Can you think about Adam and Eve once they got over the shock of like, whoa. You know, every time they looked at each other. It was one of those things where they remembered their sin. They remembered their shame. They remembered their guilt. And yet God comes and he says, listen, this is what I'm going to do for you. You just destroyed my perfect creation. But the thing I'm going to do is I'm going to kill this innocent animal. I'm going to skin him out and I'm going to make coverings for you. When you kill an animal and you skin it, what gets shed? Blood. Blood. But I would tell you, is that this is the first sacrifice that ever took place to cover the sin and the shame of mankind. We tried to cover it up. You know, we tried to cover it on our own. Adam and Eve tried to cover it, but their coverings were not suitable. And so God comes along and he kills an innocent animal. He sheds an innocent animal's blood and he makes garments to clothe them. That's the beginning of the sacrificial system. Look at Genesis chapter 4, another famous story. Genesis 4, 1 through 7, it says, Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So here we are, Cain and Abel. We always hear that, right? Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel. But have you ever wondered, why did God get so upset with Cain? Why wasn't Cain accepted? Why did he accept Abel? Why, why, why was Abel's sacrifice okay and Cain's wasn't? And I think there's some things we need to learn about this. We need to realize a couple of things. The first one is this, that we got to come to God on his terms, not ours. We come to God on his terms, not ours. Point number one is this. God had already established the sacrifice. That if we were going to cover our sin and our shame, if we were going to cover our nakedness, our guilt, it was going to come 
through a blood sacrifice. I've heard other people say, well, that, that shouldn't be so because in Leviticus, God accepts these fruit offerings, these vegetable offerings. But the problem is at this point in time, there was no sacrifice made except the sacrifice of an animal to cover man's sin and shame. And here's the deal, guys. You do not come before a holy God on your terms. You come to him on his. And we need to learn like that just like Cain, just like Abel, They couldn't come to God the way they wanted to. They came to him on his terms. Second thing we need to learn is that our actions flow from the disposition of our heart. Our actions flow from the disposition of our heart. Cain had a heart problem. That was his biggest issue. He wouldn't get his heart right. It wasn't just the sacrifice that he brought. It was the fact that his heart wasn't right in the first place to bring the right sacrifice. You and I can't come to God with the wrong sacrifice. No other sacrifice will work. No other, no other way is acceptable in our, in our life to come before God, before a holy God. Third thing is that our life for God comes from what's first and not what's left. It says that Abel brought from the first of his flocks. Cain just brought some. But, but, but Abel brought from the first. We need to give God the best. We need to give God all. You know it is perfectly within God's right to ask for everything that you have? There's this little word called lordship that we tend to forsake. But when we say that Jesus is Lord, that means he owns it all. Not just our checkbook, everything. Not just our tenth, everything. And it is within his rights to ask for it, to ask for every bit of it. Fourth thing is we must confess our sinfulness and need for atonement. So atonement, is, it sounds like a big word, but all atonement mean is, it means is it is a reparation for sin. Cain's problem was he wouldn't admit he was a sinner. He wouldn't admit that he needed that atoning sacrifice that only came through an animal, that only came when we sacrifice, when the blood sacrifice was made. Now look over in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to follow this bloodline. Another famous section of Scripture. I want to read, this is a little bit lengthy, but I want to read it because I want you to get this. Listen, guys, this is something, if we can see it, it will change our lives. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count, make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take the blood, some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasting it on fire and unleavened bread. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. Doesn't that make you just want to go get lunch? And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. 
and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And jump over into verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clan, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this riot as a statute, for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Listen, then the people went of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. Here's the deal. Like God has sent nine plagues to Egypt. He has sent all these different things trying to get Pharaoh to let his people go. You remember that song you used to sing? Uh, Pharaoh's song. I'm not going to sing it. But, but we used to sing this song about Pharaoh, let your people go. And he sent nine plagues. God sent nine plagues trying to say, let them go. And then he goes, all right, here's the deal. The 10th one is going to be like nothing else. I'm going to come through and I'm going to strike. I'm going to strike the firstborn of Egypt. I'm going to kill them all, and then they'll let you go. Have you ever noticed parents when they, they get really angry with their kids? Have you ever noticed? One thing I was noticing the other day, and I realized I do this too, but, but it cracks me up because when parents get really angry, they start talking through their teeth. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, like you're in a restaurant, and your kids are acting up, and, and you told them once or twice, or, or, or you know, and they won't do what you say, and the next thing you do is you're like, son, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to take you to the bathroom, and I'm going to wear you out. Y'all do that, don't you? Come on. Y'all know you do it. That's like the sign that our kids are like, uh-oh, daddy means business. He ain't playing. He's about to get us. I think this is the point where God was at. He's like, all right, guys, we're not playing anymore. He's like, I'm about to get them. And here's the deal. If you don't take the measures that I'm telling you to make, then it's going to be bad for you too. And the thing we've got to see is that God told them, kill an innocent lamb. Kill a lamb or a goat. Take that blood. Put it above the door. Put it on the sides of the door. And tonight I'm coming through. And if I don't see blood on the door, I'm going in and killing the firstborn. The firstborn of all Egypt. So what did the blood do for the people? The blood saved them from death. What did the blood of Jesus do for us? It saved us from death. Leviticus 17 tells us that the life is in the blood. Jesus gave his blood so that we could have life. Life is in the blood. And when this blood was put around the door of these houses, of these homes, God passed over and no one died. So the first thing we need to see is that the blood took them from death to life. The second thing that we need to see, the second thing that we've got to begin to understand with the Passover 
is that the blood set them free from captivity. The blood set them free. They had been slaves. They were slaves to the Egyptians. And God says, tonight I'm coming through. And if you'll put this blood over the door of your house, I'm going to liberate you. I'm going to set you free. Jesus died so that you and I could be set free from sin and death. He died so that you and I would no longer be held captive to sin. His blood has set us free. No longer should anything conquer you. You know when Cain was there and he was about to sin, God knew he was about to kill his brother. He knew what was going on. He said, Cain, sin crouches at your door, but you must master it. You go to Revelation 3.20. Who's knocking on the door in Revelation 3.20? Jesus. See, I have this realization that at the door there are two options. We can either open the door to sin and death or we can open the door to Jesus. We can either live our life in death or we can open the door to life. We can either live in captivity to sin or we can be set free by the blood of Christ. Which one are we going to take? Which, which door? I mean, it's kind of like, let's make a deal. Which door do you want? It's just we're already telling you what's behind door number one and door number two. We can master sin. The work of Jesus on the cross is greater than the work of Adam and Eve in the garden. We are no longer masters of sin if we are in Christ. We have a new master and we're obedient to him. So we've got to realize, we've got to realize that the blood over their doors, the blood um, on the sides of their doors set them free and it, it took them from life to death. Now let's jump over to Leviticus. I can't believe y'all didn't like, woohoo, when I said Leviticus. Leviticus, anybody's favorite book? Okay, just one person in the back. Okay, that's why he sits in the back. He's ashamed that his favorite book is Leviticus. Chapter 4, several scriptures, guys, but this is important. Leviticus chapter 4, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, And does any of them, if it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that has been committed a bull from the herd without blemish blemish, to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrance of incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the basin of the altar of burnt offering, that is, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Jump over now to verse 13. I'm just going to walk through these real quick. We're not going to read every single one of them. But there's another sin offering that takes place for the the community, for the whole congregation of Israel. Again, it's the shedding of the the blood of a bull. And they have to apply, they have to um, take this blood and and, and take it into the tent of meeting. You go down to verse 22, when a leader sins, they have to go and kill a goat and they have to take that blood and they have to to put it in the tent of meeting. You go down to verse 27, and and if any person, uh, common people, sins unintentionally they have to go and they have to take this blood they have to sacrifice a goat and they have to again take that and apply it for their sins to try and make atonement for sin 
Look over at Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to eat any, not to come in. Okay. Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Verse 11. Aaron shall represent the bull as a sin offering, offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. This is spelling out the day of atonement, one day a year, when the high priest would go in, kill a bull, take the blood into the most holy place, and put the blood um, onto the Ark of the Covenant, on the horns of the altar. He would go in making that sacrifice for the atonement of sin. The thing I want you to see here, guys, the thing I want you to understand is in Leviticus chapter 4 and 16, God is telling them very clearly, if you are going to have your your, your your sin atoned for, If you're going to find forgiveness for sin, you've got to sacrifice a bull or a goat, whichever applied to the situation. You've got to take that blood and you've got to apply it. You've got to put it over your life. In Leviticus chapter 4, they're talking about a daily sacrifice. That they would go and, and different people were making different sacrifices. They would go in and kill a bull or a goat. They'd apply the blood and it would be for the atonement of their sin. And in 16, it was something that only happened once a year. Once a year. That one person would get to go into the presence of God. One person. Once a year. And even then, he had to burn incense while he's in there behind the veil of the temple. So that, because if he saw God clearly, it would kill him. Because God is holy and we're not. And so again, we see them having to apply blood day after day, year after year. But here's the problem. A lot of scripture. Look in Hebrews. If you can find Hebrews real quick, I'll just read it to you. I want to read to you Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these, of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder. Listen, there is a reminder of sins every year where it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to do what? Take away sins. Listen to verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. Here's the problem for us. Here's the problem for them. Those sacrifices couldn't take away sin. The problem was they were sacrificing day after day. And it says in here that that every time they had to sacrifice, it was a reminder of their sin and their guilt. And any time they remembered their guilt, they had to go and make a sacrifice. Any time they realized there was sin in their life, they had to go make a sacrifice. Can you imagine that? We'd be slaughtering a bunch of animals, wouldn't we? You know, they said on the day of Passover in Jerusalem in the temple, there would be so many sheep slaughtered that the blood would run out of the temple and down the steps outside the temple. Thousands and thousands and thousands of sheep being slain because people were trying to atone for their sin. And Hebrews says the problem is every time you think of the sin, every time you realize you're guilty, you've got to make a sacrifice to try to cover it. 
Like you'd be going into the temple, you make your sacrifice, you're walking out, you're like, bam, stub your toe on the step. And you're like, oh, son, and you beep, and then you got to go make another one. Just constantly killing animals. You go home and you know, your kid does something, you're like, oh, come here, I'm going to kill you. You lose your temper, you're like, Pfft. yeah, I'd spend all my time at the temple. Day after day, making sacrifices, year after year, only one person able to go into the Holy of Holies, able to have a relationship with God one day a year, and even then he really couldn't know God because their sacrifice was insufficient. It wasn't enough. It was, in, it was unable to take away sin. But listen, guys, here's the good news. This is awesome. And this makes things make so much more sense. I want you to listen to John Chapter 1, verse 29. This is so good. The next day he saw Jesus. This is John the Baptist. Listen, John the Baptist is probably about waist deep in water right here. And he's got people coming to him being baptized. That's why they called him John the Baptizer, because he baptized a lot of people. And so he's baptizing all these folks. They're coming out. He's baptizing them. And he's out in the water, and he looks up, and he says, it says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God, who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. He said, listen, this is what your great, 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 great times 10 to the like thousandth grandparents were looking for. The Lamb of God that could finally take away the sin. The word for take away actually is, is a Greek word called arrow. A-I-R-O. And it literally means to lift off, to, to take away, to cease to exist, to do away with, to end. What John the Baptist is recognizing is, look, here comes the one who can finally take away our sin. It's the one who can finally do away with it so that we don't have to wrestle with it anymore. So that we don't have to constantly be reminded of our sin. And see, so many of us in here today, right now, every time you put your head on a pillow, you don't even like to get in a quiet place by yourself because every time you do, you begin to think about your guilt. Some people in here today dread bedtime more than anything else because it's quiet. And you remember the past. And you remember hurt. And you remember sin. And you remember guilt. And you remember all these things. And what Jesus is saying to us today is, I can take that away. That's good news. That you don't have to carry it because Jesus died to take it away. That is awesome. That we can be set free, that it's lifted off. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he recognized he's the one who can take away the sin. My question to you today is, have you recognized the one who takes away the sin? The one who was foretold thousands of years before in Genesis 3.15, that there would be a seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. We looked at last week that that was Jesus. That is who he is. That is who he's come to be. And that you and I have an opportunity to know him. We go to last scripture, Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26. I want to read this, this, this whole section here, 17 through 29. This is when Jesus celebrates the Passover with the disciples. It says, now on the, thir the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will, we have, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. 
I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one another, one after the other, Is it I, Lord? He said, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who had betrayed him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink, it, drink again of the, the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You see what Jesus is doing is he's saying, guys, y'all remember that Passover so many hundreds of years ago? You guys remember that? He's saying, now finally, the one who can take away the sin is here. And it's interesting that Jesus comes to the third cup. This is what, what scholars will tell you. He comes to the third of four cups. And he waits until the third cup and he says, this is the blood of my covenant, the new covenant, which I'm going to pour out for you and for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this. Celebrate this. And it's interesting that the third or the fourth cup was the cup of redemption. It was the cup of redemption. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew that this was the fulfillment of a plan that started all the way back with with Adam and Eve. And see, Jesus came and was that perfect, spotless, unblemished lamb that could finally be the sacrifice. That's why you and I couldn't die for the world. It'd be a noble and great effort, but you and I are flawed. We're not perfect. Jesus, our high priest, he was tempted as in, in every way as we are, yet was without sin. And he came and he, he shed his blood. And just as he talked about it with that third cup of redemption, he became our redeemer. Redeemer is someone who purchases somebody at a price and then sets them free. Jesus is our Redeemer. He purchased us with His blood, finally taking up sin, finally lifting sin off of our lives, only to set us free to become what we were intended to be in the first place. Recreated in the image of God. Finally, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who we celebrate today. That's who we celebrate every Sunday. And because he shed his blood, because he was born of a woman, born with flesh and blood, lived a perfect life, he could be an appropriate sacrifice for us. And he fulfilled it all the way from Genesis to the cross. guys just eight just eight major prophecies fulfilled one in a million billion do we really think it's an accident that we have a book with over 66 separate books written by over 40 different authors and every word points 
to one event. See, if you're a Christian, you don't believe in a theory. You don't believe in a philosophy. You believe in an event. And it is the cross of Christ and the resurrection. You believe in an event that Jesus, on the third day, rose from the dead. He shed his innocent blood to cover our sins, and not just to cover them, but to take them away so that they would be remembered no more. That's the good news for us today. I've been looking forward to this all week. We're about to take communion. In fact, I'm going to ask those who are going to assist if they'll come on down and they'll man their stations. But see, I, I, my prayer has been, and, and guys, I don't, I don't know if, if you got it, got that. My, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would make it clear, but that today maybe we look at the blood differently than we've ever looked at it before. And maybe today we realize we're celebrating blood that was shed, that was prophesied, prophesied that, that was planned, that was purposed for our redemption. And I know we got people here today who are in all kinds of different places in their walk with God. There are some people here who don't have a walk with Christ, who've never established that. And if you are honest with yourself, you know your sins have never been atoned for. There's never been reparation made for those sins. Jesus has never taken those away. We've never applied that blood to our life through faith by saying, yes, I want him to be my Lord. I want him to be my Savior. There are people here today like that. Even on a Memorial Day weekend, we have people here today who know they've never established that relationship. When Jesus died on the cross, it says that the veil was torn, indicating to us that now through Jesus' blood, we have access to the Father. My question is, have you accepted that? Have you taken that? Have you allowed Jesus to take away your sins? For some of us, we've just taken it for granted or maybe not utilized it to the full. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you realize like the veil was torn. That veil that separates us from, from God from a holy God was torn. And because Jesus has taken away my sins, I can be in fellowship with him. What an awesome privilege. So today, maybe for you, communion is a renewing of a relationship. Maybe it's reconnecting with God. Maybe it's that that time when you need to come and just say, you know what? As I take the body and I take the bread, I take the juice, I take the blood. Jesus, I need... I need a revival to start in my heart. There are two opportunities here today. One for people who don't know the Lord. And you say today, I want Jesus to take away my sin. What I want you to do right now is is listen, I want you in your heart, if that's you today, I want you in your heart to say, I receive you as Lord Jesus. I confess my sin. I confess my need for your sacrifice. Thank you for taking away my sin. And when you come and you celebrate communion, you celebrate it as a believer in Jesus Christ who has been set free from sin and captivity. Captivity to that sin, you have been set free as a believer and follower of Jesus. And you may have taken it communion before, but you've never taken it like that. Forgiven no sin, spotless, clean, whole in the eyes of a holy and righteous God. 
you're here and, and, and you know your relationship isn't what it needs to be, here's your chance. The veil's been torn. Don't just take advantage of it right now in the next five minutes. Take advantage of it every day. And I, I ask you this, listen, if you're a believer, ask that God would set your heart on fire for him and for those who are far from him. And let's be like a burning torch in Statesboro, Georgia. that shines the light that brings other people to Christ. What I want you to do is I want you to take a minute. The Bible says we should examine our hearts. And I know you're in one of those places. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to examine your hearts. And when I say amen, you can get up and begin to come. We've got six different stations for these six stations or sections up here. You can begin to come and, and partake of communion. We invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, come and take communion. You can pray up here. You can go back to your seat. But as I'm praying, I'm going to ask you to examine your heart. Allow God to work in your heart and get your heart right before you come and share and remember the body and the blood of Jesus. Let's pray.